This is Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital and Medical Center, Covaris, Ranchford Eye Center, and the Connecticut State Medical Society. Healthy Rounds provides general information regarding medical conditions and diseases. The information is not intended to create a doctor-patient relationship. You are encouraged to consult your own medical provider for advice that applies to your own medical care. And now, Dr. Anthony Alessi on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com. Welcome to Healthy Rounds, the show that provides you with up-to-date medical information, and we answer all of your health questions. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and it's great to be with you this Saturday morning. It's a beautiful day out, and it's great for me to be back. Um, I've been traveling the last several weeks, and uh, this is a live show today, so we're going to be taking questions uh, throughout the show. Uh, Phone numbers here, 860-522-9842 and 1-800-966-9842. So uh, my travels have brought me to a variety of places. I was in Billings, Montana for the Professional Bull Riders Tour. Uh, As many of you know, I've been consulting with that group for a period of time where we are primarily educating bull riders on concussion, uh, the need to get evaluated. We have done several of those evaluations here at the University of Connecticut uh, where bull riders have flown in and We've established a foundation through the PBR uh, where their expenses are paid. So uh, it was interesting going out there, meeting with a lot of the riders and their families uh, about what's going on with head injury itself. And then I was at the American Academy of Neurology where I got to speak there uh, at their annual meeting. Last night, though, I was at Mohegan Sun uh, where we had – Mixed martial arts. So I was at ringside for that. Here, here's an interesting thing I noticed last night. And I think it's a, it's a good thing about sports. So we had a whole night of MMA fighting. Now, everybody gets upset about, oh, they're in a cage and whatever. And, you know, we had a whole night where no one got seriously hurt. They went in there and fought. But in every instance, there was none of this in-your-face stuff. Uh, It was always at the end of the fight, each fighter hugged, shook hands, and they really looked out for each other. Even in back of the house, it was never like, hey, I did this. It was was interesting that there was this level of sportsmanship in such a violent sport. Another example was last night, the New York Yankee game. Uh, They were playing the Indians. One of the Indians players slid into second and accidentally kicked – D.D. Gregorius in the back of the head. What was the first thing he did was scramble over to make sure his opponent was okay. Those are the things I like about sports. As opposed to some sports, some that are in the playoffs right now, where it's one-upsmanship and showing off and pushing and shoving and really being unsportsmanlike. So I thought I'd share that with you. Those are the things we'd like to look out for in sports. I also want to let you know, my my guest today in the studio is going to be Dr. Jane Grant-Kells. Dr. Grant-Kells is a professor of dermatology, pathology, and pediatrics at the University of Connecticut. She is the expert when it comes to melanoma, diagnosing melanoma. She's director of cutaneous oncology and the melanoma program. So we're going to be chatting with her a lot about melanoma how to diagnose this, what you can do to avoid it, uh, and all skin cancers. And we know that that's becoming an increasing problem here in the United States and worldwide. 
This day in medicine, May 5th, 1881, Louis Pasteur begins his public demonstrations on the effectiveness of vaccination for sheep anthrax. Now, many of you know we think of Pasteur and pasteurization of milk, but he was really the leader in looking at vaccination. So back in 1881, he held a public demonstration. By that, he means he, anthrax was affecting a lot of sheep and cattle at the time. So what he did was he injected one group of sheep with the anthrax vaccine, and the other group did not get the vaccine. He waited two weeks and then subjected them to being infected with anthrax. The group that was not vaccinated died. The others lived. That was science. That's how he showed that vaccinations work. He did the same thing with rabies. In a, ra a child who had had gotten rabies was, was going to die, and he was able to vaccinate that child and keep them alive. And the reason I'm bringing this up is we're always hearing about why don't these doctors find a cure for cancer? Well, we have some cures for cancer. One of them is vaccinating against the human papilloma virus, HPV. That virus causes cancer of the cervix in young women and in the genitals in men. And we have a vaccination that's available for young people. It's given in two injections in their teen years, and you could avoid it. But people are not using it. They're not, they don't want it because they don't want to think about their child having sexual relations. They think their children are too young. They're afraid of vaccines. So I'm tired of hearing this, why don't they find a cure for cancer when we do have a cure for certain forms of cancer in the form of vaccines. I just went and got another vaccine, the Shingrex vaccine for shingles. Now, I got the first vaccine. You get it at age 60, but now there's a two-step one that is much more effective. So if you're over 60, talk to your primary care physician about getting this new vaccine because you do not want shingles. It is a painful condition to have. I've had the good fortune of not having it, but I've had multiple patients with it, and this new vaccine works. So don't be afraid of vaccines. You're hearing this all the time. You go on the Internet. They had side effects to this, that, the other thing. Uh, let's be honest. In the long run, vaccines have probably been the most important improvement in medicine, in mo all of modern medicine. I mean, we don't see polio anymore, right? We don't see smallpox anymore. So these have been effective treatments. Uh, this week in my article in the Norwich Bulletin, I talked a little bit about athletes and athletic genes. A lot of people feel that, you know, it's you're genetically determined to be a great athlete. And that's not necessarily the case. A lot has to do with the environment you're brought up in, subjected to. And I spoke specifically about a young man named Connor Svab, who is an excellent ball player in high school now in uh, St. Bernard's Academy. And, I mean, he's 5'10", 140 pounds. Uh, I met the young man. The wind will blow him over. But this kid can hit home runs. He can field, play great defense. His father was a professional ball player. His great-grandfather was a professional ball player. They talk about baseball. So a lot has to do with gaining that knowledge and having some development. 
the brain develops in, in those young years, your brain starts to develop and myelinate. And with that myelination, you start to create a more efficient brain. And in that stage, it's so crucial, not only in determining your future, but you need to avoid injury, which brings me to my next point. Another article that came out this week was about CTE and the studies of chronic traumatic encephalopathy in football players who played tackle football before the age of 12. It was a high frequency. There's a high relationship in that. Now, that doesn't mean everyone who played tackle football and got concussed is going to get CTE, but it's an interesting point. So some states have gone out now. New York and California have laws pending to ban tackle football before the age of 12. I'm not a big fan on laws and new laws to ban things. Banning's a tough word to start throwing around. But just think about it. We're going to pass more laws to keep people from hurting themselves and keep people from hurting their children's future. No one is going to tell you that the key to getting to the NFL was having your kid play tackle football before the age of 12. No one. No professional athlete is going to say that. No professional coach is going to tell you that. It doesn't happen at that stage. So the risk clearly outweighs the benefit in that situation. What I also found amusing was today's broadcast. We're talking about now we're going to pay policemen to be out there to make sure people put on their seatbelts because these people think that at night they can get away with not putting on their seatbelt. Get away with what? What? I mean, when you have that accident, who's, who's taking care of your family? Is it me? Am I paying your bills? Is everybody else paying your bills? Seatbelts are not that encumbering. It's not this great encumbrance and certainly worth doing. So, again, we're not only passing laws to make people safer, but now we have to pay policemen to go out and police and make sure you're not hurting yourself. The world's gone crazy. The other th craziness this week has been insurance, health insurance. Uh, this is everybody's favorite topic. I, I had a personal situation with the pharmacy. Uh, my wife went to a physician, got a prescription written, went to fill it. Uh-oh. Nope. We got to go to a specialty pharmacy. So CVS had to call their specialty pharmacy. Now, this is a reputable doctor who wrote a prescription for a drug that's not some bizarre drug. It's commonly, you could turn on your TV, you'll see it all the time. And so we had to go to the specialty pharmacy who didn't get back to us, okay? Then when you finally get contact with the specialty pharmacy, they have to get back in touch with the doctor to make sure that the doctor really wanted you to have that medication. Well, doesn't it say it on the piece of paper? That's what the doctor wrote. Now, as a physician, I know what they're doing because they're sending me those forms saying, wouldn't you like to prescribe something less expensive and maybe just a little bit less effective? Okay, and my answer is no. And I check it off and sign it. And then they come back to you again and say, well, what about this? It's like a negotiation going on. What happened to the days where you went to your doctor, they wrote a prescription, you went there, you filled it, and you paid for it? Okay? That's basically it. So, again, now we are more than a week into this, and my wife still hasn't received the medication that her physician thinks she needs. So, 
Um, insurance companies, so everybody says, well, doctors, this, doc-. deal with the insurance companies. It's gotten ridiculous. We have really let the healthcare system get out of control. But now we're going to chat a little bit with my guest today. We're going to take a short break. We're going to be with Dr. Jane Grant Kells, who's going to talk to us about cancer of the skin, how to avoid it, what to do if you have it, and we're going to go from there. I'm going to take plenty of questions, 860-522-9842 and 1-800-966-9842. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. I think you'll all recognize that. Those are the sounds of Bon Jovi, who will be at Mohegan Sun tonight. That is going to be a great show uh, because, as you all know, if you've been to Mohegan Sun, it's a great theater. I mean, really, the arena is only 10,000 seats. Great sound. Uh, it is going to be a tremendous – just looking at the list of folks coming to Mohegan Sun is pretty impressive. Uh, bon Jovi is going to be there, Britney Spears. Uh, there's a whole uh, great lineup of guests coming there. It's kind of interesting. Uh, and then you, you know, you two coming to Mohegan Sun. That's pretty interesting. So my guest today is Dr. Jane Grant Kells. Dr. Grant Kells is a professor of dermatology, pathology, and pediatrics at the University of Connecticut, and director of cutaneous oncology and the melanoma program. Basically, skin cancer. Jane, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. So I read a little bit of your bio. Can can you explain to our listeners a little bit about kind of the, the great route you took towards your career? I mean, starting out in pediatrics and then getting so involved in dermatopathology. So I was a pediatrician and was seeing a lot of skin rashes and skin lesions. Um, and my husband was going into ophthalmology, and he had suggested I actually was going into cutaneous uh, pediatric oncology. I had a fellowship at Memorial Sloan Kettering um, established set up, but my husband wasn't very happy with that decision because it was going to be very difficult on our lifestyle. And so he encouraged me to pursue other areas, and luckily I ended up in dermatology, and so I now do dermato-oncology of, in all age groups. It's it's a great field because, well, first of all, dermatology. You know, it's one of those things where in neurology, you're always pretty secure because most physicians are just scratching their heads when it comes to neurology. I could tell you, when it comes to rashes, we're always looking for help, um, and, and especially in this field. So you started, so you're a New Yorker or you started in New York? Yes, I'm, I'm originally from New York. You can probably tell from my accent. So. Um, how many years, and this somebody always asks me, so how many years did you spend between medical school and training in, in all this work you've done? So I did uh, two years in pediatrics, yeah. three years in general dermatology, and then a year and a half in dermatopathology. Can you tell people what dermatopathology is? Right. So when you go to a dermatologist and if you have a rash or a skin lesion that they're not sure uh, what it is or they're concerned it may be malignant, they'll do a biopsy and they send that specimen to someone like myself who's trained and how to interpret it under the microscope. Can you talk to our listeners a little bit about the types of skin cancer? Because we hear skin cancer, but there are so many different types and maybe a little bit about the demographics because it's a growing problem in, in many respects. Oh, it's it's 
in the last 20 years, it's grown by 70% in incidence. And there are over 5 million skin cancers in the United States alone every year. There are over 4 million basal cells. There are about a million plus squamous cells. And there are close to 200,000 melanomas, about 178, 79,000 melanomas uh, expected to be diagnosed in this year, 2018. So it's a huge problem. And we're seeing it in younger and younger people. So the major skin cancers are our basal cell, squamous cell, and melanoma. Uh, basal cell is the most common, as I mentioned. Um, it's the most benign in the sense that it tends to grow slowly, but... 3,000 people die every year in the United States from basal cell. I didn't know that. Uh, the next most common is squamous cell, of which there are about a million a year, and 15,000 people die every year from squamous cell. And then finally, melanoma, um, where about um, eight or 9,000 people die from melanoma every year. Um, they, the, that's the most common cause for skin cancer death is melanoma. And they say that one person in the United States dies every hour from malignant melanoma. And these are lesions that occur on the skin. So you would, you would hope that they'd get diagnosed early enough that no one would die from them. I, I was reading somewhere where we're seeing the biggest uptick in young people, uh, and so young people and very and older people. Now, you expected somewhat in older people because of kind of years of exposure of the skin. But young people, uh, we're starting to see an uptick in that. Why is that? Uh, the probable most likely cause is, are tanning parlors. Uh, the tanning parlors have attracted particularly young girls. They have buses that go to the different campuses, college campuses and private high schools, to take the the kids to the tanning parlor. Is that true? Yep, yep. And um, uh, people become actually addicted to becoming to tanning. They're called tanorexics, and um, it's a real problem. And, That's a new term for me. And yeah, and well, the interesting thing also is that the. People who become addicted to tanning are also more likely to be addicted to other bad habits like smoking and um, alcohol abuse and drug abuse. But we need to stop this cycle of tanning. Um, there are many organizations, including the American Academy of Dermatology, who are working very hard to fight this billion-dollar business in the United States. Uh, apropos to what I've said, are we going to pass a law against tanning? Or uh, I, I guess I don't even – well, there are laws in some states, like in the state of Connecticut, uh, they've passed a law that you can't go to a tanning parlor under the age of 18 without permission from your parents. And that was a big step because a lot of kids were going, you know, 15, 16, 17-year-olds. Most of our damage to our skin vis-a-vis uh, -vis the sun occurs in our youth under the age of 18. If in addition to playing outside, you're also going to a tanning parlor, you're really destroying your skin and are going to develop skin cancer later on in life. So once again, we've we've passed a law that demands good parenting when they're probably going with their parent to the tanning salon. Uh, with that, we're going to take a, a short break, and then we're going to be back with Dr. Jane Grant-Kelts today. We're talking about dermatology and specifically skin cancers because we really want to heighten Every listener hears awareness about skin cancers, checking your skin, seeing a dermatologist or your primary care physician. And Dr. Grant Kelts has a new way that's not painful in order to look at and determine definitively if a lesion is cancerous. And that's going to be key without having to do a biopsy. 
We're going to talk about them when we get back. The phone numbers here, 860-522-9842 and 1-800-966-9842. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm glad Mikey put that up there. Here comes the sun. And we're talking about skin cancer with my guest today, Dr. Jane Grant-Kells. Jane, we were chatting a little bit about environment and how do you protect against skin cancer? We see these rates rising. Obviously, we already talked about young people going to tanning beds. Um, Bad move. But, you know, what are the best ways of protecting? We hear all about SPF and things like that. Is that the best way? And what do the numbers all mean? So, uh, The first thing is to try, if possible, to avoid the midday sun. So do your outside golf, tennis, running early in the morning or late in the afternoon and use the middle of the day to do indoor activities if you can, you know, shopping, laundry. So between the hours of 10 to 2, some people say 10 to 4, but that's hard to avoid 10 to 4, but if at least 10 to 2. It's easy if you work at UConn. Right. My office has no windows, so we don't know if it's raining or snowing out. So I have to tell you, it's it's kind of easy from that standpoint. It's the weekend. It's the weekend, right. <laughs> the other thing is to wear, I like protective clothing, and they do make clothing now with sun protection factor in it. Uh, they, they're tightly woven. Uh, much of the clothing has vents, so it's not that hot. And then you don't need to apply sunscreens. But if you're not going to wear sun protective clothing and a hat and sunglasses, then you need to use sunscreens. And uh, we recommend uh, a sunscreen with an SPF of 30 or higher. Uh, Above 30, it's better, but not in a linear way. So the higher the SPF, the better. Look for a total block, UVA and UVB, so look for total block. I recommend that people use a cream rather than a spray or a lotion because it's thicker and it works better, Um, and uh, that they uh, apply it uh, every two hours so that you apply it before you leave the house. You probably should reapply it again because most people miss spots, um, and that's why they get areas where they get burned, um, and then to apply it every two hours. Buy a sunscreen that's labeled waterproof and then don't believe it. Reapply it. I was going to tell you that because they say, oh, just put it on once. It's waterproof, sweatproof. No. You know, it's better, it, but it's not no, – no, no such thing as really truly waterproof. Okay. So I advise people to reapply it after swimming or perspiring. And then reapply it every two hours. Now, sunscreens don't give you the permission to lay on the beach all day. They do give you permission to play tennis, do gardening, do a jog, uh, golfing. But it's not doesn't. There's no such thing as safety for twelve hours laying on the beach. One of the things I've noticed, one of the trends. I was recently away and noticed a lot of young people wearing uh, big floppy hats, and they usually have logos on them. Your favorite team. Uh, uh, they have various schools, the university, UConn sells them with UConn logos, and they've got these big brims and they tie underneath your chin. Um, you, we talked a little bit about the, the size of the brim has something to do with protection. Right. So they've been they've done actual studies and published that if, a, if you wear a hat with a four-inch brim that goes all the way around, you get pretty good protection for most of your face. If you wear a baseball cap, 
you're not really you're protecting your scalp, but you're not protecting much of your face, and you're certainly not protecting your ears. And the ears and behind the ears are a pretty common spot for men to get skin cancer. Let's move on a little bit and get into melanoma. It's a huge problem. I mean, that's what, what we've been talking about a great deal. What should people do in terms of how do you know? They always say inspect your skin, look for lesions that change, things such as that. What what can we do to help the diagnosis of melanoma? So if you get a new lesion on your skin and um, it's asymmetrical with an irregular border, it has more than two to three colors, um, and it's changing over time, getting larger, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a melanoma, but that's something that you should bring to the attention of your primary care doc and if you have one, your dermatologist. Um, th- these are called the A, B, C, D, E, A, symmetry, B, border, C, color, D, diameter, that's changing, and E, evolution, that's changing. These are the these are the signs of a melanoma. Unfortunately, some melanomas are hard to diagnose. You know, they don't have pigment. We call those amelanotic melanomas, and they look pink, so they're difficult to diagnose. So you need to, but you need to become aware of your skin. When you're young, it's okay to get new lesions. But when you're my age, you're not. You shouldn't be getting new moles. You get brown spots, uh, lentigos or uh, liver spots from the sun, but and benign keratoses from the sun. But if you're getting a new lesion and it it's, it conforms to the A B C D E changes, you ought to be concerned and bring it to the attention of your primary care doc. Should people like myself, who have somewhat olive complexion, be more concerned? Um, with looking for these lesions? No, it, it, you shouldn't be more concerned. Everybody should be concerned. Okay. People who have fairer skin, light hair, or light eyes, people who freckle, and people who have a history. If you have had five sunburns in your life, you'd have a double risk, two-time risk of developing melanoma. But people who are olive-skinned, that doesn't mean you have no risk. And I have even seen melanoma in people with very dark skin. So everyone needs to be aware of their skin and protect their skin from the sun. I would like to move on to something I learned from reading some of your things, and that is confocal microscopy, a totally new concept to me. Can you talk to our listeners a little bit about what confocal microscopy is. So confocal microscopy is a technology that allows us to look at the skin on a cellular level without doing a biopsy. Patients hate biopsies. They're very easy for the dermatologist to do, but uh, the patient is frightened. It's a little bit of an uncomfortable procedure, and then you're left with a scar. So Patients hate having their skin lesions biopsied. The confocal uses a low-energy laser beam that um, uh, is directed towards the skin. It is completely painless. It is completely safe. There have been no, zero adverse events. And one of the reasons is because it's a low-energy laser, so it doesn't penetrate very deeply. So I can even use it on the abdomen of a pregnant woman and not be concerned. Um, The laser bounces off the parts of the skin these uh, the laser beam is recaptured and those uh, it's based on the refractility of the different elements of the skin the images are the the pixels are converted into an image of the skin on a cellular level in black and white where 
I can diagnose skin lesions and skin cancers without doing a biopsy. So it's amazing technology um, that patients have really embraced um, and are, are gr- greatly appreciate. Well, why not? I mean, suddenly you don't have a scar. You, you don't have somebody coming at you with a knife. Uh, are you able to tell? So usually, and my knowledge is very elementary of this, but we're looking at mitosis, right? We're looking at cells that are splitting vigorously to determine if it's cancer. So you could actually tell that from the refraction of the cell, of the lesion? You don't see the mitosis, but you'll see the tumor islands of a basal cell. Yeah. You'll see the epidermal disarray. So it's not just melanoma, any skin cancer. Any skin cancer. And I can, the most common thing that, and and at UConn, it's reduced our biopsies by, unnecessary biopsies by 60%. That we and we actually did a study and published it. Um, so sick, the lesions that I diagnose as benign do not need to be biopsied or excised. So you come into the doctor, we identify a lesion that we're concerned about. If we did a biopsy, the pathologist only sees two percent of the lesion because the lesion is cut vertically. With a confocal, I see the entire lesion on FOSS. And so the diagnostic acumen is very high. The specificity and sensitivity are very high. And if I see a lesion that the clinician is worried about, but I can see it's benign, the patient doesn't need a procedure at all. They're done. If I see a lesion that looks like it's worrisome, either a basal cell, a squamous cell, an atypical mole or a melanoma, then that lesion can go directly to definitive surgery so they don't need two procedures, only one procedure. So it's remarkable technology that, again, it has been very useful. Uh, We're chatting today. We're going to talk more about confocal microscopy uh, with Dr. Jane Grankels. We've got to take a short break, and then we're going to come back. I I want to know a little bit more about this procedure, and Let's find out. Is our, are our insurance companies paying for this? It sounds like a win-win for everybody. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. Oh, boy. Mike, now you're getting carried away there, Mikey. Uh, but anyhow, uh, we're chatting with Dr. Jane Grant-Kells. And we're talking about confocal microscopy. So it sounds like a great idea. It's a win-win. Patient doesn't have to have an incision. Uh, they don't have to have a scar. And you can tell with relative certainty that it needs to be excised. Is insurance paying for it? Uh, yes and no. Some are. Most are not. So um – there have been almost a thousand articles published on this technology in peer-reviewed journals to show how effective it is. And insurance companies will tell you it's like they do about many things. It's experimental. It's not experimental. It's ready for prime time. We did go, uh, myself and a, a few other of my colleagues with the backing of the American Academy of Dermatology to the AMA CPT committee and we got CPT codes. Then we went to the RUC committee and we got these codes valued. So we can bill for it. There are CPT codes, but most insurance companies will deny the payment, calling it experimental, which is ludicrous. It's ludicrous. They call total body digital imaging, which is taking pictures of somebody's skin. If you have thousands of atypical nevi, the only way to follow someone like that is with photographs. They call that experimental. How could that be experimental? I mean, that's... So... 
uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, it's not covered by all insurances, and some patients have to pay out of pocket, which truly angers me because it's not fair. It should be a um, a technology that's available to everyone, in my opinion. And I just, as listeners, you may want to get in touch with Dr. Grant Kells and the staff at the University of Connecticut. Uh, the phone number, do you know the direct number for dermatology? It's what was uh, um, 860-679-4600. Okay. 860-679-4600. If you think you have a suspicious lesion and don't want to have a biopsy, this technology is available at UConn and um, can get it looked at. Um, so I would like what that, a patient should really do is if they have their own dermatologist, they should sure. take that lesion. And that dermatologist can, if the patient doesn't want a biopsy, he or she can refer that patient to me for a confocal. And then I can send that report back to the their, their dermatologist. Are dermatologists learning this now in residency? So the Yukon dermatologists are, the dermatology residents are, and I go around the country. I've become a very popular guest speaker at different residency programs. Uh, Almost every week I'm on the road now teaching. But unfortunately, it's... takes time and effort to learn how to interpret the images, and uh, there's still a small cadre of people who are skilled at it. Uh, We are trying very hard to educate dermatologists and dermatopathologists how to interpret these images because my hope is in the future that these machines will be in many offices and in every academic institution and then the if they don't know how to read it they can send those images to the experts no matter where they are in the world because all you need is a laptop and uh with uh you know a a good laptop to read the images. It is amazing. Uh, before we end, I, I really want to touch on this. An article today uh, I've reviewed today that came out this week in JAMA uh, Dermatology, Vermilion Lip Cancer. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I've, I was fascinated by it myself. So uh, when when we develop the, – so the, particularly the lower lip gets a lot of sun exposure. The lower lip tends to protrude more than the upper lip and – even if you use sunscreens on your lip or chapstick with sunscreens on your lip, it wears off because you're licking your lips, you're talking, you're eating. And um, so when people develop a skin cancer on their lips, a squamous cell particularly, um, and on rare occasion a melanoma, uh, it can be very invasive and have a higher predisposition to metastasize. So there, we treat these very aggressively. Other causes for skin cancer on the lip, in addition to sunlight, is smoking, tobacco, and of course, as you've already mentioned, the human papillomavirus. Uh, very disfig- I, It's got to be very disfiguring even to take a biopsy. Actually, the lip is very highly vascularized and yeah. heals very quickly with uh, uh, minimal scarring. So that's the good news. Um, and we can do a wedge resection and approximate the edges with a good cosmetic result if you if you develop a skin cancer. What's the next big thing in skin cancer? I mean, uh, recently we started using monoclonal antibodies for melanoma treatment, uh, people who in whom melanoma was a death sentence are now living with it. Um, what's the next big thing we're going to hear about? Well, I, I think we're getting more and more new medications targeted therapies. And there are basically two types of treatment. One that targets the genetic marker that turns the melanoma cells on 
And the other type of treatment is an immune uh, treatment that our immune system has a way to turn itself off so that we don't respond inappropriately to things around us. So there are treatments now that turn off those turnoffs so that your immune system gets goosed up to reject the cancer. And there are more and more drugs coming out that have made an incredible difference. You're right. People with melanoma who in the past would have died are now walking around cancer-free. It's hardly metastatic, though. It It is, of all the cancers, the uh, skin cancers, the most malignant uh, and dangerous one. When you talk about, so drugs that will turn off the turnoff, are we talking about antibodies again, these monoclonal the, antibodies that are being developed? There there are different targets. They're, they're, they work through the immune system, sure. but they turn off different enzymes and different steps in the in the cascade, the immune cascade. So they work in an antigen antibody technology in the sense that the, they, they attach to these markers and turn on and turn off the immune system in that respect. These are drugs that are readily available now, though, in yes. many respects. Yes. So they've become pretty much regular since, treatment. Since 2011, it's been a huge breakthrough. And many of the drugs that were discovered that are effective for melanoma are, have now been effect, found effective for other kinds of cancers like lung cancer. This is just phenomenal. I mean, you know, when we think of dermatology, everybody thinks of the usual rashes. And I don't think we spend a lot of time thinking about uh, really the the skin cancers and the great work being done at the University of Connecticut. You know, we get a bad rap over there at UConn uh, lately, especially uh, on this station. Uh, people calling in, why why are we spending money on this? Re- why are we doing research at Jackson Labs? Uh, there's There's – there's a real punching bag. But those of us who work there uh, realize how much is going on, especially even over at Jackson Labs. I mean, they've been a tremendous asset for the state of Connecticut um, overall. I agree 100%. They're doing remarkable research and they're collaborating not only with UConn docs, but Harford Hospital and St. Francis and Yale docs. And they they are bringing the quality of health care to our entire state higher. So, and UConn, you know, does get a bad rap. And, you know, I've been there almost 40 years. Of course, I came at 12. But, <laughs> but it's it's a phenomenal institution and uh, with phenomenal doctors who are very dedicated. Well, thank you for your dedication and everything you're doing for our patients who have skin cancer. Thank you for inviting me. It was my pleasure to have Dr. Jane Grant Kells here as my guest from the University of Connecticut. Many thanks to our studio producer. Mike Olko's been on the board playing all those skin songs for us. Jeff Chandler is in charge of sales and marketing for Healthy Rounds. Uh, next week on Healthy Rounds, we're going to be discussing different ailments of the hand. And my guest is going to be Dr. Stephen Scarangella. Dr. Scarangella has been a guest before, and we always get a lot of interest talking about carpal tunnel and other uh, painful hand syndromes. Next up on WTIC is going to be Garden Talk with Len. Please remember to help save lives by becoming an organ, eye, and tissue donor. You can do that by going to registerme.org. You don't have to wait to renew your license now. Get over to registerme.org and become an organ donor. Until next week, this is Dr. Anthony Alessi. Please stay healthy. This has been Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital and Medical Center, Ratchford Eye Center, Covaris, and the Connecticut State Medical Society. Be sure to tune in next Saturday morning at 11 for more Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com.